0: Hey, welcome everybody. Good to see you. So good to be together uh, with you. Uh, Welcome to uh, River Glen, Uh, whatever your location. We're just delighted to have you with us. If you're new around here, my name is Ben, one of the pastors here. River Glen is a uh, multi-site church and what that means is we're one church but we meet in multiple uh, locations. And uh, so to uh, keep us unified, let's give a a big warm welcome here in Waukesha. Let's give a big welcome to those in uh, Pewaukee and uh, those uh, online on the other side of the camera. Uh, So good to have you with us. Uh, Great to have all of you here as we begin this new series today that I hope and pray is uh, helpful and uh, challenging and life-altering. Recently, Apple computers did a survey to find the most popular emojis, and uh, here's what they discovered, that this uh, 100 emoji is uh, one of the top 10 most popular emojis for uh, iPhone users in the United States, and if you haven't used it, if you if you haven't seen it, it means 100%. It means all in, keeping it keeping it real. I agree, but the origin of this symbol is from Japan. In Japan, what teachers would do when a student would ace a test, uh, the teacher would stamp 100 on top of the paper, and so the origin is acing a test. Have you ever, uh, you know, walked into school? Maybe 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 you had this happen to you, or you walked into class. And uh, you got surprised by a, a test, maybe in high school, maybe in, in college. You, know, you walk in, the teacher gets all serious and says, all right, is everybody ready? And you go, ready for what? And the teacher says, the test. And you say, what test? And if that happened uh, too often for you, you probably didn't do it real well in school. I had this happen to me. I still remember this, it was a long time ago. I had it happen for an exam in college, right before graduation, a biology exam. I played on the baseball team, And I had a biology exam on the afternoon that we had a baseball game. And so the teacher would allow us to reschedule the exam. And so I didn't study for the exam that day because of the baseball game. Makes sense, right? I'd done this before. But at the last minute, the baseball game got canceled because of the weather. And I decided to go to class to hear the lecture after the exam. Guess what the professor made me do? Take the exam. Yeah, I pleaded my case. I, I tried to argue. I begged. And uh, he insisted, and uh, I didn't get the 100 stamp, okay? I I failed it, and I'm still mad about it uh, to this day. Yeah, it affected my graduation. I mean, I would have graduated in the top 10% of the lower third of my uh, graduation class, but that test just ruined it. Uh, Sometimes in school, you get surprised by a test. Sometimes in life, you get surprised by a test. And for those of us who follow Jesus, whether we realize it or not, every couple weeks, we face a test. And it's far more important than a biology test. Because this test will affect every area in your life. It'll affect your stress and how much anxiety you feel. It'll affect how much peace you feel. It will affect your marriage and your kids. And some of you are probably wondering, what test has been talking about Well, if you're taking notes, here it is right here. Every time you get paid, you take a test. Every time. But as we start off this series, let me just ask you, if you're thinking about your own personal finances for a moment, and uh, let's say you're going to give yourself a grade, what would it be? Ask yourself, how much debt do I have uh, how much margin uh, do I feel at the end of each uh, pay period? Do I feel like there's enough left? How generous uh, do you feel? Uh, do, I, do I feel confident that I'm saving enough for the, for the future? Across all those categories, uh, give yourself a grade, okay? Maybe, maybe it's an A, maybe a B, maybe a C, maybe a D, maybe a lower grade, All right, I'm curious, and be bold if this is you. You know, how many of you in your finances right now, show of hands, you just feel like, man, 100%, I'm I'm acing it. Go ahead and and, uh, raise your hand if that's you. Okay, not very many hands, not very many hands are raised. And that's what this series is all about, helping us in this area where we all get uh, tested. I want to get very practical in this series because I want to help you to win, and to feel more confident in this area of finances. Now, I've been doing this for a while. And, and I know that anytime a church talks about money, that some people get funny, feel funny about that. And on the one hand, I get that. But on the other hand, I don't. I mean, I get it because I know many pastors and churches have abused this topic. And it breaks my heart. I, in fact, I feel embarrassed by that. But on the other hand, I don't get it because I know that the scriptures have a lot to say about this. And if you want a church to teach the scriptures, I mean, it's hard not to talk about this. I mean, if you come to a church and a church never talks about this, that is an unbiblical church. If you go to a church and this topic is off limits, that is an unbiblical church because this is the number two topic in the Bible. And you know what? We owe it to you to teach you about this. We're helping you prepare for a test in life that affects every every area of your life. Here's what I want you to know as we begin today. I want nothing from you. I only want God's best for you. And if I seem passionate about this subject, it's not just because there's so many scriptures that talk about it. It's because God has really transformed uh, my life in this area. Before I got married, I mean, I was a bad, money manager. I mean, money was a source of chronic stress and worry in my life. But then I got married. I married up, and Marnie and I experienced the results of practicing the principles that I'm going to share with you in this series. In 31 years of marriage, we've never put anything on a credit card that we didn't pay off when we got the bill at the end of the month. We've never borrowed money to buy a car. The only time we borrowed money was for a house And with God's help, about eight years ago, we were able to pay that off. And God has enabled us to to be generous toward his work. I know money is one of the greatest sources of conflict in marriages. It's the number one cause of divorce, but it's not a source of conflict for us. Now, we've got other areas of conflict, but we don't fight about money in our marriage. And the reason I, I share all that with you is not to brag. I just want you to know that what we're talking about in this series it's, it's not theoretical for me. It's one of the most life-changing areas where God has worked in my life because prior to marriage, my finances did not look this way at all. And I really believe that God can do something miraculous in your life if you will align yourself with the teaching of his word in this area. And it's really not about money. What we're talking about in this series is really issues of the heart Jesus said one time, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How we manage our treasure is a heart issue. And and God doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you, 100%. One time somebody asked Jesus this question. What is the greatest commandment in life? And Jesus responded with with these famous words. He said, love the Lord your God with some of your heart and with a little bit of your soul and with 10% of your mind. That's not what he said though, right? He said, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, 100%. Now, over the course of this three-part series, I'm going to teach you God's financial plan. And I'm going to call this the 100 plan. And, and this financial plan, it's based on the principles in God's word, is so simple that any of us can do it. It'll, it'll work for All of us at any income level Marnie and I follow this plan and it has given us so much peace and freedom now the 100 plan is also sometimes called the 10 plus 10 plus 80 plan which of course equals 100 and the first 10 here represents taking the first 10% of our income the scriptures call this a tithe it's actually a mathematical term and you honor God By returning that first 10% to the church that you're a part of where God meets your needs. And that's our subject that we're going to talk about today. Because every time you get paid, you face a test. Who are you going to put first? Who are you going to thank first? A lot of people want to thank Visa first. Or Amazon first. Or Walmart or the mortgage company first. But you have to ask yourself this question. Can Visa bless my finances? Can Amazon bless my finances? Can Walmart, can the mortgage company bless my finances? No. That's why the scriptures teach us that when we honor God first and best, he promises to bless the rest. The second part of this plan, the second 10, I'm gonna talk about this next week, and and you're gonna enjoy next weekend, because we're gonna talk about how to accumulate a nest egg for yourself. You take that second 10% and you save it To create some margin in your life. And you get the miracle of compound interest working for you. And then the final 80 is what you live on. That's what you pay your bills with, trusting God. And we're going to talk about that final 80 the third weekend of this uh, series. So this is the 100 plan. The 10-10-80 plan. And it's also called the give, save, spend plan. Now here's something really important I want you to understand. Not only are the percentages a test. The sequence is also a test that really matters. Here's what I mean. I think this is the way that many people think about managing uh, finances. They think in this order. You know, you spend first, and if you don't spend um, all of it, then you save some of it, and then if you've got some left over, maybe you give some of the leftovers to God. But this sequence makes a statement. And uh, here's what it says. Me first, me second, and God lasts. And I say this in love. God can't fully bless any area in our life where he's not first place. And Visa cannot bless your finances. Amazon cannot bless your finances. Walmart cannot bless your finances. But God can. God can. And that's why the scriptures teach us to reverse the order and begin to give first, to put God first. And he promises to bless the rest. Deuteronomy chapter 14 we read this the purpose of tithing you wonder why should i tithe to teach you always to put god first in your lives god wants to be your top priority and honoring god first you're giving is really a heart test for the follower of jesus it tests your trust in god it's a test is god for, is god first or not Now, I think if we're honest about it, the reason we struggle with this is because we struggle with something that the Apostle Paul in the New Testament called the love of money. Jesus referred to it as greed. One author called it the desire to acquire gone haywire. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look briefly at a story Jesus told. It's recorded in Luke chapter 12. Jesus had gained great popularity. Thousands of people followed him. And on this particular day, as he taught on a variety of subjects, somebody interrupted him. Verse 13, someone in the crowd says, "'Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me.'" Apparently, this guy in the audience is having a family squabble, a family fight over money, over inheritance. Uh, sometimes that happens. Maybe some of you can relate. Maybe you've heard the old saying that uh, where there's a will, there's a relative, right? Right? So this guy felt cheated and he asked Jesus, hey Jesus, would you straighten this out for me? Would you tell my brother to split the inheritance with me? Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then Jesus issues a strong warning for the thousands of people who gathered to hear him that day that'll set up a parable a story that he's gonna share. Here's the warning that's at the heart of this parable. He said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Notice how Jesus says, watch out. He's saying, heads up. This is a blind spot for many people. And then I want you to just soak on this last phrase. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't say that possessions are evil. He doesn't say that possessions are bad. He just says, you won't find life in them. In other words, you're not gonna find true happiness or joy or security in money or possessions. You see, greed is not measured by what something costs. It's measured by what something costs you. The problem is not that we possess money. The problem is that money can possess us. And so to drive this point home, Jesus tells a provocative story about a successful, financial-driven kind of guy, and he starts the story this way. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now, this guy already had a lot of money. He's already wealthy, but notice, Jesus does not criticize his wealth. He earned it honorably. He worked hard for his money. I think if Jesus told this story today that he'd probably modernize it and he would say this Wall Street success story uh, turned into his uh, four-car garage uh, on Friday afternoon driving his Tesla. And uh, he kissed his wife, took off his coat, went into his office and whipped out his laptop because he had a lot of work to do that weekend. He looks over his soaring stock portfolio and he still can't believe his eyes. I mean, he has come so far since the days of maxing out his credit cards and starting up as a one-man operation in his garage. And he just had a staggering return. And he's faced with this dilemma, what am I going to do with all this income that's coming my way? But then he had an idea, verse 18, he said, this is what I'll do, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I'll store my surplus grain. Now, he doesn't plan to do anything evil with the return, he just reaches over for a set of blueprints that he's dreamed about with his architect and his engineer and he unrolls it on his massive desk. Sure it's gonna take a a big uh, commitment to build this expansion but he's gone over all the projections with his senior staff and he feels confident that he's got every contingency covered. And he looks forward and thinks about his life after this enormous expansion when he hits the, the jackpot and he thinks, I'll, save to my, I'll say to myself, you've got plenty of grain laid up for many years. Look at this, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. He thinks I'll stop working so hard. I'll go on vacations to the finest resorts. I'll go to the best restaurants. I'll, I'll take it easy. But the moment he finishes that thought, he feels this squeezing sensation This pressure in his chest. At first he thinks it must be indigestion, maybe some bad sushi that he had for lunch or something. But the pain quickly spreads down his arm and up into his shoulder, into his neck, and into his jaw. He starts to perspire and feel dizzy. He tries to stand up, but he can't. He can't speak. He can't move. He collapses at his desk right on top of his dream about 6:30 his his wife's getting hungry and she's ready to go to their favorite Italian restaurant for dinner. She calls out three times and there's no response. Finally she goes down the hall. She looks into the office and she thinks, "Oh, he's sleeping. You know, when is this guy going to slow down?" But when she puts her hand on the back of his shoulder, there's no response and this sickening feeling hits her. His body is warm. But he is, is gone and everything changes just like that. Autopsy reveals a sudden massive heart attack. And here's the irony, the guy who had a reputation for covering every contingency, every unexpected scenario had no contingency for the single most predictable event in all of life. It's not as though God has kept the future a secret from us. One glance at a cemetery reminds us that everyone dies And while the financial community mourns his loss and celebrates his life, God eulogizes this man with a word that never crossed the mind of those who admired him. Verse 20, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? So let me ask you, what was his fatal flaw? Why does God call him a fool? Is it because of his, his wealth? Is it because of his affluence? No, it can't be. There's many, there are many characters in the Bible who had affluence. Abraham, Job, David, Nicodemus, Barnabas, and God used all of them. Is it what he proposed to do with his wealth? Preserve it, grow it, tear down the barns, build bigger ones? No, that made good sense. When you get a good return, it's good management, good stewardship to grow what God has entrusted you. So what's his fatal flaw? According to Jesus, a fool is someone who gives no thought to God. No thought to God's activity in their life or in the world. No thought to honoring him or expressing gratitude to God. Now, maybe this guy thought, you know, someday when he's sitting back and taking life easy, eat, drink, and be merry, that he would begin to reflect on his soul. He would begin to reflect on God's activity in his his life but that day never came he was so uh, busy making a living he missed out on making a life and jesus concludes the story by saying this is how it'll be with with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward god see jesus isn't criticizing his affluence it's his arrogance Jesus criticizes his arrogance. It wasn't wrong to plan for the future. It's that his plans did not include God and God's purposes for the world. He fell into the myth that's plagued human beings throughout history that life consists in the abundance of possessions. And so let me uh, apply this message by asking you to really wrestle with two challenging questions, two important questions. Here's here's number one. Can, Can God trust me with his money, because we talk about you know our stuff like it's really ours. You know, my house, my business, my car, my money. But ultimately, we don't own anything. We're just managers. We're like the man in this story. We're, we 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 are just gonna we're not gonna take it with us one day. We're we're just we're just managing those things for a little while here on earth. Scripture talks about this. It says in, in Psalm twenty-four that the earth is the Lord's and everything uh, in it. It's all, it's all his. It's all God's. And uh, notice this word, everything. In the, uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, this is a very interesting word. I've, I've put a lot of study into it, and it actually means uh, everything. Yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all God's. Not 10%, but 100% is God's. It belongs to God. It's very comprehensive. But this guy in the parable, he never got this. He thought it was his, but he was just a manager. He's just a steward of what was already God's. And so ask yourself, can God trust me with his money? You know, typically the way we ask this question is we say, here's my money. God, can I trust you? God, can I trust you with, with my money? And God looks at us and says, no, no, no. Can I trust you with my money? And because it all belongs to God and God's looking for people that he can, that he can entrust his resources, and here is how God tests us. God asks us to demonstrate our trust in him by taking the first 10%, it's called a tithe, it's a a mathematical term, 10% of our money, and we bring it back to him. And I realize, you know, that takes a, a big step of faith. A lot of trust in God, but managing money is meant to be a relational experience between you and, and, and God. And God invites us to test him in this area, only area, God does this. God says, test me in this and see if I won't bless you. God says, uh, 90% with my blessing is gonna go further than 100% on your own. Think of it this way. Let's say that you make $5,000 income each month and a tithe of 5,000 would be 500. And what God says is 90%, 4,500 with my blessing. God says, is greater than, will go further than $5,000, 100% on your own. Now, that doesn't make sense, does it? Try to explain that equation to your math teacher. Good luck on that. But when you give God your first and best, he promises to bless the rest. Jesus said, give, and it'll be given to you. And that's how God wants us to manage his resources. But until I put God first in my finances. Uh, God will never be able to fully bless the rest. All right, here's a second challenging question. Uh, Am I robbing God? Am I robbing God? Uh, Show of hands on something, Uh, uh, both campuses. Uh, Show of hands. How many of you have ever had uh, something stolen uh, from you? Uh, Somebody robbed, oh wow, quite a a few hands. Uh, Anybody ever had anything big stolen, like a car or a truck or maybe a, a motorcycle? Oh, wow, a few, few of you. I hope that didn't happen here at River Glen. Uh, anybody ever have any, anyone break in to your house? Uh, wow, okay, yeah. I remember many years ago, right after River Glen started, we rented office space in the community. Somebody broke into our church office, and uh, somebody stole a piece of equipment, and I remember just how horrible it, it felt to be violated in that way. In the Old Testament, God spoke about a very unusual theft victim. In Malachi chapter 3, here's the question God asks. Will a, a mere mortal rob God? Yet uh, you rob me. Uh, but you ask, how are we robbing you? you know, how do you rob God? How do we rob you, God? God? God comes back and he says, in tithes and offerings. You see, the tithe, The first first 10% belongs to God. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. That's why in the Bible, it never tells us to give the tithe. It says you bring the tithe. You return the tithe because it already belongs to God. You return it to him. You say, well, how were they robbing uh, God? Well, people would get themselves into financial foolishness. They would overspend. And then to deal with it, they would reduce they would reduce that from their, their tithes and offerings that were, they were supposed to use to honor, honor God. Uh, for example, in, in our day, just hypothetically speaking, if you go to the store, you know, pick up a couple grocery items, and then you, you, know, you walk out with a new flat screen in one cart, just hypothetically speaking, and, and new furniture in the other cart, and on your way home, you're like, how in the world am I going to pay for this? And we think, I know. We'll take the money we were going to honor God with and tithe to him to make, the, make up the, the difference. And uh, we rob uh, from, from, from God. And so let me ask, have you ever robbed God? Are you robbing from God? And I know that Malachi uses some powerful language here, you know, robbing God. I, I used to think that he used this language to make us feel guilty. But I think the reason that he uses such strong language is not to make us feel uh, guilty but to help us understand how God sees this, this, this area and to motivate us to put God first so God can come alongside us, so God can come into our, our financial uh, picture. It's actually a beautiful promise God makes to us through this prophet Malachi. Look at the rest of this scripture. Uh, uh, God says, uh, bring you know the whole tithe. Remember, you don't, you don't give it, you bring it. Into the storehouse, storehouse, is a picture of the church today. Test me in this only area in, the, in scripture where God says to test him. And look at this. He says, he says, I will pour out so much blessing. God promises to bless us in incredible ways in this life and in the next life. It's actually a beautiful scripture written by the prophet Malachi to motivate us to put God first. Let me ask you another question. What, what if Jesus in the New Testament said to tithe, would that motivate you? If, if Jesus told you to tithe, uh, would, you, would you do it? I, I hope you would. Well, you might be in trouble because there's two places in the New Testament where Jesus confirms the tithe. In Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 23, they're parallel verses. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus says to the re- re- religious leaders, excuse me, uh, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God, the religious leaders meticulously tithed all the way to their herb garden, but Jesus criticizes them for ignoring the sick and the needy because they thought they had done something so great by tithing. And then look at what Jesus says next, red letters in the New Testament, Jesus says, you should tithe, yes. Right there, Jesus confirms the tithe. And then he goes on, but do not neglect the more important In other words, you know, don't just think, uh, don't just tithe and then walk past someone in need and say, oh, well, too bad. I already tithed at church. No. Tithing is not the stopping point. It's the starting point of generous giving and generous living confirmed by Jesus. Marnie and I started tithing when we got married. And uh, God has come through for us. And God will come through for you, but don't just take my word for it. I want you to hear from a couple in our church named Jay and Tina, take a look.
1: This is my wife, Tina, and my name is Jay. Uh, We've been coming to River Glen since about 2009. So God really spoke to Tina first and I knew she was just a little bit ahead of me.
2: I grew up going to church, I always had God in my life and, um, but I kinda grew up with a perspective of Trying to please God, um, and it wasn't until I was married and we started having children and um, my my thought process started to change. I didn't see him as someone that I needed to please. Um, I started seeing him as um, truly a father. I just heard God telling me, "You need to trust me, and you need to give this up to me." and um, I wanted to rely on him and that was part of how I felt I could be obedient and and show that I was relying on him. So I started to kind of plant that seed then with Jay.
1: Uh, I'll never forget this fourth quarter, 2007. Uh, It happened to be about a Thursday afternoon and work was slow. So I visited with one of my my colleagues. We got on the topic of, of his experience. And his experience was, hey, you know what? We've been tithing for a period of time, and and I clarified, ten, right? And uh, yes, it was ten. Um, and he told us of his story, and how he didn't know, and his wife didn't know how that was going to work, but how he had trusted God, and how that family had trusted God, and you know, when the time came um, for college expenses to happen, he shared, you know, somehow. God provided, and it happened. At that point, knowing that you know I'm a little behind Tina, I went to my office and closed the door, and I dialed back my 401k right then and there to get us from our current state seven to get us to ten. Uh, and at that point, I was committed, and my, my my heart was in it. I was ready. I don't know if it was that day or the next day, where I received a phone call from a good friend of mine. His uh, his mom called Kathy. What I thought, calling to catch up and talk about her son Josh, who had passed uh, about a year prior to that. She asked for my address. So a week goes by, uh, and as I came home from work, I went to the mailbox, and you know, I opened a letter from Kathy, and it said, you know, um, we're closing Josh's estate. Here's here's a ten thousand dollar check for you. Uh, you can't give that back, and and the whole scheme of everything. Um, It it truly impacted us in ways that we never thought possible.
2: We definitely felt affirmed in our decision. I think it was, um, and again, people can say that that's a coincidence, but for us and for the way that we believe, we felt that it was an affirmation that said, I told you, I've got this. And things like that continued to happen. And in a world where there's so much anxiety and so much stress on people, just having that that peace Um, knowing that God's taking care of every aspect of your life, including your finances, if you trust him with that as well.
0: I really appreciate Jay and and Tina sharing their their story. Let's give them a hand. Appreciate their faith, and I want that for you. I, I want you to go all in 100% with God and his plan. And maybe God will bless you relationally. Maybe he'll bless you physically or spiritually or maybe financially. I don't know how he'll bless you, but he promises to bless you. But I want you to do this primarily not to get something. I mean, God is so good, he will bless you, okay? He promises to bless you, but I want you to do it because you, you trust God, and you wanna put him uh, first. I'm grateful that all of our ministry staff and our elder team are all committed to tithing, and I hope that you will uh, join us. And if you think this is some scam where River Glen's trying to get your money, if you think, you know, Ben is after my uh, money, listen, I would rather you attend another church and tithe than attend River Glen and not tithe because you don't trust our motives. If going to another church would help you to tithe, then go with my blessing, full blessing. Go with my permission. That's how much I believe in this. That's how much I want this uh, for you. So uh, here's the the challenge uh, for today. Uh, Put God to the test for 100 days. We're calling this the 100-day tithe challenge. I want you to try this for 100 uh, days. Now, I know... Tithing scares uh, some of us. I get that because it's contrary to how most of the world thinks. And so I want to give you some extra help. Uh, we put a card in your uh, program. It looks looks like this. It's got the 100 uh, symbol on it. And if you didn't get a program, it's in the chair back. Would you do me a favor? Would you just go ahead and grab that and take that out uh, for a moment? even if you, Whether or not you do anything with it, I'd like you to, to take it out and uh, go over it with you. And uh, for those of you online... Your, your host is going to post a link, and you can click on that and follow along. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus or if you're you know, brand new to River Glen, this challenge is not directed to you. Here's what the card, here's what it says. It says, realizing that trust is the single most important factor in a relationship, and that God says, test me now in this. I take this step of trust by committing the first 10% of my income to the Lord Through River Glen Church. And then just check one of the four boxes. Uh, Maybe this is a new step for you. You're going to begin tithing. Maybe this is a return to tithing for you. Uh, Maybe you're going to continue tithing. You already tithed. You're going to confirm that you'll continue for the next 100 days. Maybe God's leading some of you to to give beyond the, the tithe. Check that box. Check whichever box fits uh, you now I know many of us here want to honor God this way and put him first but fear gets in the way and here's what we think we think what if I get to the end of the 100 days and things get really tight God hasn't blessed God hasn't provided what if I get to the end of the 100 days and I feel like this is the dumbest thing I ever did well listen that's why this challenge includes a money-back guarantee if at the end of 100 days you feel like God hasn't blessed or provided uh, for you. You just email our bookkeeper. Here's her email. Her name is uh, Julie. And uh, she will write you a check for every dime that you gave uh, during the 100 days. No questions asked. As long as we have a record of the gift, she'll return it to you. So make sure it is a recorded gift. We just have that much confidence in God. And God has invited you to, to test him. And so here's what we're going to do. Our, our team's going to lead a song about God's faithfulness to us. And I want you to just let those words wash over you. And I hope during these next few moments that you'll reach over and grab a pen and uh, fill out uh, the, the card. And then you can drop it in the offering bag a little bit later in the service. And, and by the way, if you put your email down here, uh, during the 100 days, once a week, I'm going to send you an encouraging uh, email. I know that this is a step of faith. But God promises there's freedom in this. There's, there's life in this. There is blessing in this. Because ultimately, this isn't, this isn't between you and, and River Glen. This is between you and God. This is between you and the God who right now, he says he's preparing a place for you in heaven that's gonna blow your mind. It's, it's, it's more incredible than you can imagine because he couldn't stand the thought of spending eternity without you. This is between you and the God who loves you so much that he gave his one and only son to die on a cross so that you could have life, life to the full, now and and forever. And so let me, uh, let me pray for us, and then uh, during the song, you, you can uh, use that time to fill out the card, and then uh, we'll share communion. Let me pray. God, I, I thank you for trusting us with your resources. And God, thank you for this 100 plan and how simple, straightforward, and how it is beneficial for all of us. God, I know the temptation is going to be to hear this and say, yeah, that makes sense. I need to do that and then walk out and and forget about it and nothing changes. But God, help us to not just hear your word, but do it. I pray that we will honor you and trust you by giving first to you. Help us if we need to rethink some things and take the 100-day tithe challenge and put you to the test. God, thank you for proving faithful to your word in my life and in the lives of so many others. And I thank you for this communion moment that reminds us about your incredible generosity through the the greatest gift ever, ever given, the indescribable gift of your son Jesus. Thank you so much that you gave your one and only son for each one of us. And we ask our prayers for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen.